right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toxic Masculinity. We are here to entertain, offend, defend anyone and everyone. And hopefully more than anything to make you think. And for some of you, it might just be for the very first time. We like to make you scratch your head, scratch your ass. Hopefully not at the same time. My co-pilot in crime is Don the Predator Fry. And yours truly, Dan to be severed here. And there you go. I'm going to throw it to you there, Mr. Fry. We've we uh, got a chat right along here, but uh, let's just jump right in there. We've got we've got a couple guests. We've got uh, uh, Tom Robb and we got Ken Yoshida. And uh, just basically go ahead and... Uh, Ken Yoshida. He's been a friend of mine. I'm uh, sorry. Sorry yeah. about that, Ken. He's been a friend That's of okay. <laughs> you didn't say Yakuza, I'm... so that's better. <laughs> 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 Well, he was a friend of mine, but now since you won't keep cutting me off, I'm going to just cut you both. That's it. Pull a plug on them. They're done. <laughs> exactly. Ken, Ken Yasuda and I have been friends since uh, 1997, and uh, we're almost like brothers. He took care of me when uh, I was in the coma uh, back in 2016. I was in there for, for three weeks, you know, had a hemorrhagic stroke, and then they put me in a coma for three weeks, and Ken played guard you know he's my guard dog and uh then we have tom rob over here sts global security global security and um he's come here to tell us some good stories about uh wait 30 years in the industry yeah 35 years it's all right 85 i guess just to jump in a little bit more you actually said that you actually worked in the security industry for how long before starting your own company, though? I mean, because you were already working in the yeah, industry. And then yeah, yeah. Um, unlike most people, I was having some success, and everybody said, Make, get a company, get a company. And I got to be honest, it wasn't until about five years ago that I, I thought I knew enough to run a company because every tour is so different. Every band is so different. And, you know, it's like acting when you're young. If you get a gig, then you think you're going to make it and then you cannot work for another year. You know what I mean? So, so for me, I started landing gigs. And once I started working all the time, I had a little bit more confidence that I could do this, but I'll tell you why I formed a company is because we were lucky enough, me and my partner to be with some really big bands like Metallica, uh, Green Day. We did Kanye West. We did Lincoln Park. We did all these tours. And we realized we were turning down a lot of massive tours, just as big. So at some point we were like, maybe we should try to do this. But the catch is if people like you, for example, when they want to train with Ken, they want Ken. And if all of a sudden he's like, well, I'm busy, I'm going to hand you off. They're not so ready to do that. So it was the same way with bodyguarding. They liked me and my partner. But when we wanted to drop someone off, they're like, I'm not sure if we're ready. So it took a while to go slowly. And now we're about five years into it. We have about nine tours. And as we said before, we we do Bellator now, which is an honor because we're huge MMA fans. So we get to be around the fights and around the fighters. Um, so the company just came. And like every company, we didn't think much was going to happen. And we got real lucky that it just started taking off. So right now... Mm-hmm. We're about 35 years into it. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. With, with, with Bellator, you get to you get to interact with uh, Big John there uh, very often. Absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna say hey from everybody from Mike Beltran, Frank Trigg, uh, Big John. I saw the other day uh, in L.A. last fight, which was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, become good friends with Mike Beltran. He texts me and sends me bad freaking Instagrams four times a day. You know, all political stuff, which is great for him, not great for me. But, um, but yeah, just that community, I have to. You on the wrong side of the fence? No, no, I'm in the middle side of the fence, man. No, I'm not. I, I carry here in Texas. That's one reason I'm here, too. I love that. I've been. So one thing is, after Japan and all that, I did live in Dallas in seventh grade. So I have a little bit of Texas in me. So I don't tell anybody here that I lived in LA for 35 years. I said, I used to live in Dallas and I'm glad to be back. That's the uh, way I, that's the way I get away with it. Yeah. I got to say there's, there's a lot of people that are bailing out of uh, California and heading to other States such as Texas and Florida yeah. are two of the biggest States that they're heading right. to. Absolutely. Well, I, I have one suggestion when you move here, get rid of your te- uh, California plates as soon as humanly possible. Cause I had a lot of people flipping me off and tailgating me in the beginning. So, <laughs> wow. so you got to make that a priority. And my Harley too. I got the plates within a week once I got here. That is so funny. People, people just oh. don't know who they're fucking with, you know, and they pull up. Well, I'm slowing my car and every once Man. in a while I'm like, we could do this, but this is really stupid. Yeah. Someone yelled at my wife and called her a bitch. And I was like, dude, you think wow. I'm I was like, you think I'm trouble? She's secondary black belt. She'll kick your ass. But some lady just cut her off and told her to go fuck herself and go back to California. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to Texas. (laughs) Well, they just don't want you to come there and change it, you know? Yeah, you know, I get that argument, but why would we leave if we wanted to bring that shit here? I'm trying to get away from it, man. I love. By the way, guys, I love it in Austin, man. I and we go to Waco and San Antonio. We don't. It's not just the liberal part. I I love Texas in general. I love that it's all about football and sports and you know training. There's great gyms out here. People don't fuck around with with gyms, man. They're serious here, which is what I really like. Can you like it? Also, you can open carry, can't you? (laughs) Yeah, I don't, but yeah, I haven't seen it though. To be honest with you, I haven't really seen it at all. But I'm not looking for it either. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. Don isn't Arizona the same way? Isn't Arizona uh, open carry? They've had they've had that for 40, 50 years, you know, maybe more. You know, Texas slow on the uptake. Yeah, funny, funny story on that, Rob. Rob, When uh, when Walkie Talk, the movie Walkie Talk had had just come out, I'm at this. Big swap meet uh, down in the downtown Phoenix area. Huge swap meet that goes on for two days. I mean, there's just thousands and thousands of people. And as I'm walking down this aisle, I see these two, they're, they're biker looking dudes. One, one guy's got a two by four up on his shoulder. He's got, he's got a, a, a gun strapped to his, his hip. He's got a big buck knife on, on his boot there. I don't even want to make eye contact with this guy. Right. He's got some security issues here. <laughs> if you know, he's a pastor of a church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the toughest church there, though. Yeah. Yeah, it, listen, it's, it's intimidating because you just don't know anybody's intent. You know, and, and right. to be honest, guys, my job is trying to read everybody every time. And it's exhausting because you can't, our issues aren't as aggressive as you think, even though I've been in aggressive situations. I was, 
in Budapest where there was a bombing three blocks away at the embassy from our show while the show was going on. So we had to really address it and decide what was safe to do. So people think there's such a misnomer, man. What people think of bodyguarding is what they think of fighters. They don't think about the training and all that you guys do, you know, 365 days a year. They just think about you guys rolling in and fighting. There's right. so much to this too mm-hmm. that people don't know about how we advance it for months, how we're prepared. We have anti-sniper, right. we have uh, active uh, sniper teams, we have tactical teams, we have fire marshals. We have so many things involved because we're in Bogota, we're in Belarus, in Moscow. And I've been going to Russia for 20 years and they didn't want us around in the beginning at all. But them in Paris, it seems like incrementally every year they figured out there's a lot of money coming from our rock bands. So they started being nicer. But in the beginning, man, they didn't care what you said. They were just like, go away. We don't care. No matter what. Wow. About, uh, your childhood and you always know you want to be a bodyguard or no, just no. Fell into it? yeah no it was kind of i come from an artsy family they're all creative artists and i was given the gift of art but i just didn't really care you know i was uh-huh. i don't know it'd be like you guys see you know you were given the gift of singing don because everybody wants to hear you <laughs> sing can right. you imagine if you were like this amazing singer and you're like i'd rather do this so i <laughs> kind of followed my other thing which was I wanted to coach football at a high level and I was coaching and then just one day I was like I'm just not making enough money and I was dating someone that was getting hit on by Stallone and Eddie Murphy at the time and I was like I'm making $17,000 coaching this I might not be able to hang on to her with this right now so I got into to uh, one of the kids I was coaching his father ran uh, a company that was very famous so I just applied got in I, I wasn't happy there. And after a year, I started my own different company. And then I got into it then. Um, and then in the 90s, I started going with rock bands, which made a lot more sense because I'd already learned the corporate and kind of tactical stuff, which they they weren't really doing in rock and roll at the time. You remember when the Rolling Stones had like the Hells Angels and all yeah, that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> that went over great. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> 20 lawsuits later. So that's kind of the issue is they wanted to clean it up. And the difference is you guys, especially Dan and Don, I can't touch anybody. They can spit, they can elbow you. My only concern is getting my client to safety. So it's really difficult because you've got, and I'll be honest, over 35 years, I haven't had people go too crazy on me. Because I, I have a way of just calming people down and going, dude, you're having a rough night. Let's just take it easy. You know, let's call it a night. And I don't, you know, instigate it or escalate it. But there's times, man, you're in a, remember that scene in uh, uh, True Lies where Arnold's in the Corvette and the, the guy driving the car is yeah. talking shit about his wife and he shows him like snapping his neck. Yeah. And then it goes <laughs> back. I had, I've had about 30 of those where I'm thinking about just doing this. <laughs> and I'm like, well, have a great night. I hope you had a good time and you just walk away. Because, I mean, we're, we're handcuffed, man. Especially, as you know, with everybody. I don't know if you know this, but everybody uh, at Coachella, if they're Black, they're related to Kanye West. And if they're white, their father's a lawyer. That's all you need to know. Right. So everybody's <laughs> a lawyer. So they can say and be disrespectful and rude to you. And you just got to walk away. 
Right. And it's tough sometimes because I'd rather do what you guys do, <laughs> you know, get them in the <laughs> ring. But we don't have that. And the, it's changed a lot, like we said, from Rolling Stones and stuff. Even Metallica was much more aggressive back in the day. And now we're, you know, uh, it's basically these bands are billion dollar companies and you got to protect them from, from liability and lawsuits. So mm-hmm. you kind of walk away and you use allies that, you know, Obviously, the building has 300 security if you go to arena. So those are your allies. You hand it off as soon as you can and get your guy off the stage or whatever you need to do. But uh, the festivals, uh, I was telling Dan about Budapest. We had somewhere where the barricade in the front, which is solid metal, broke. And a girl's arm was caught in between so we jumped off the stage and literally took our belts and we laid on the ground and put our backs in the dirt and our feet against the barricade and used our belts just to pull it apart enough to get our arm out so that's not something you plan or think about or talk about (laughs) but you just gotta you gotta think you know how can we get out of this and uh we were in china with lincoln park and we had never we Obviously, everybody goes to Beijing and Shanghai. So those were the, the famous two cities that American rock bands have gone to. Mm. But we went to these four cities that I had never heard of that were still 30 million. They were just massive. Wow. And we were doing football stadiums. And it's the first time an American rock band had been there. So the military police were out in force. And they're in the bombs teaching kids that are going to do security how to use shields and batons. they've never done it because they didn't know what to expect so they're teaching them and we're walking around going what the fuck is this it's a gang fight you know what are we doing here so when the show started everything was chill but this is a football field and imagine twenty thousand seats and they expected the kids to sit down and they told them they're not allowed to stand up at all for a rock show so the second the show started all these kids got up and they're jumping over the barricades to try to get them to sit down and they're swinging sticks. So there was a wow. big, big Chinese girl against the barricade and she had somehow cut herself, not superficially, but the more she moved, blood was flying. So now she's against the barricade. And as soon as our singer came out, this is our first show of six football stadiums. He sees a girl covered in blood military guys jumping over with shields and batons hitting all these people and it we had guys jump off the stage to help us and me and my partner just went over the barricade kind of with a, a translator going no 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 and in japan as you know and in china it's all about honorable so i'm having her just go tell them we honor them and respect them but they gotta quit hitting our fucking kids so <laughs> yeah it was so intense and you are such as you guys know when we go, Ken's not, but when we go to Japan, we're a tourist. <laughs> we're a tourist. We don't look anything. They know we're, we're guiding. We're guiding. Yeah. Foreigners. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And when you look like us, it doesn't help because they don't see a ton of guys with <laughs> 240 and tatted up. So they're already, but by the end of the show, half the security guys in their 20s wanted to take a picture with Hellboy and my, my partner's name is Shrek. And they couldn't get enough of us. But that was the first song of six shows. And we never had another issue. But that first song, we thought we were all going home. 
And that's how intense it was. Yeah. And by the way, every city we went to, the next security guy, we go, well, we had a good show last night. You know, he's like, don't care. We don't care. Well, this is our city. We do. Our, and so you had to, it was Groundhog Day. You had to start over and over to try to get, so you had like 10 hours from eight in the morning to eight to get them to like you. Otherwise they were just like, we don't care. You're American. Wow. We, don't, we don't want you here. So we got lucky, but the first one was super intense for, mm. for that first song. We thought this was going to break free. Like everybody was going to come at us, but we, we got it. And again, you don't train for train for that. But when, when you get through that, I'm not comparing it, but it's got to be like after a fight where you look at all your brothers and go, we got through that together, you know? So that was pretty cool. But exhausted. Yeah, you're completely exhausted. Yeah. yeah and it's the, people don't tell you how hot it is in China, man. Yeah. It is so hot and gray and the hum, humidity is intense. You're going it's through odd. like five. Oh, dude, it's, you can barely see the back of the arena. It's right. crazy. You are in a different wow. world. You really are. But it was good doing just to have that. Like at these concerts, is that front barricade, is that all like, uh, I mean, bolted down into the, the ground? I mean, it's yeah. uh, so many people are pressing up against uh, yeah. against it. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, they call it Mojo or the barricade. And so your stage is here. Then you have about a 10 foot lane to 15 for all the security and cameramen and all that. Then you build the barricade in that you're holding literally 40 to 80,000 people against it. So if you're smart, you'll do a T barricade all the way back. The, the countries that have money will kind of separate it like in cubes. So there's not a lot of pressure, but when you do festivals in Europe, you'll see 90,000 people on a hill and it's claustrophobic. And if something goes down, I mean, there's been deaths, you know, in, in festivals in Sweden with Pearl Jam, I think it was Sweden or Stockholm, six people were killed in the nineties or late nineties. So it happens and it's tough to watch because you do, when you're not controlling it and you're a guest, for example, when you're doing a festival, there'll be 15 massive bands like Pearl Jam and Metallica. It's not yours. So you're not setting it up, Dan. You're kind of as a guest saying, thank you for having us. And then you try to lock down your area by the stage. You protect your band, you get them off the staircases, staircases. You, you get them into the car, get to the airport, but your shows, you own everything. So you've prepared everything. So if something goes down, it's our fault. But festivals, if you just, there's a really good vid, uh, HBO special that just came out about Woodstock 99 and what a clusterfuck that was and how terrible it was. And it was 200,000 kids that didn't pee or drink or do anything. And they're just pissing in everywhere on top of each other. They're in mud, they're in their own shit. It's crazy, it is, which is not what we do a lot. But I mean, when you see it, it, it leaves an impression for sure. Well, one of the things that I, I, can, I can relate to some of the stuff you're talking about, because when concerts were coming to college at Arizona State, I went to, I went to college at Arizona State, when various concerts were being brought to Arizona State University, they would bring in a lot of the big football players, but then they would also re recruit the, the top couple of weight classes for amateur wrestlers. Well, I was one of the top weight classes, so I was always being recruited for these various concerts. And I mean, I got a chance to see a lot of cool concerts, but when I go back to that barricade, it's really shocked me as to how they, I mean, these things are mounted right into the ground and they've got all these yeah. 
wedges gets and, and your seed flex. It's actually flexing, but then 100%. people are being crushed up against the wall. They're mm. passing out. They can't even fall down. And now you got security guards that are, that are actually reaching over, yeah. grabbing them, pulling them over the barricade. They're, they're bringing them over to the first aid type of place. They're getting administered. You know, some of them, it's legit what happened to them. Other people, they're faking it. So they all want to try to they get, can get over the barricade. So that yeah. They can, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Meet the band, but then they, they don't realize once you're okay, they tossed you out the back door and that's it. You're, yeah. you're, you're gone. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, it's, you see a lot of the people that learn how to kind of fake and do things. I have guys that are literally playing at USC. I, I ran Coachella for seven years. It's a massive festival in California. And it's one of the biggest in the world. And for seven years, I would fly in just to do two weekends. And I was lucky enough to work with these guys. You would love these big freaking Samoan guys from Orange County. Fucking love them. They're like <laughs> silent warriors. But dude, we had, I had 35 guys. Four were over 400 pounds. Four. Holy and holy. Like 17 were in the 300s. And the babies were 260 and 280. You know, the young ones. And they were so good. But I would do tears. So I put the linebackers behind because when they're walking, people try to fake you and try to get on stage. So we, we had seen it all. But I had this one six foot seven Samoan. It was probably 340. And he had braids down his hair. And I put him in the middle of the barricade. And I told him, Every celebrity, which is a total, it's a celebrity-driven thing at Coachella. It's pretty pretty bad. But I told him, fist pump every celebrity you see. So he's got David Hasselhoff and Danny DeVito, and he's going up. Every celebrity, I'd have him fist pump just to, just to tell him, relax, we got you covered. And so when they're leaving, they would run out of their way to find the guy, the big tall guy with the braids, to fist pump him, just to let him know that we took care of him. Because the main stage at Coachella is 125,000 people. It just goes on forever. It just goes on forever. And all the celebrities, of course, are put right in the front. So we got to take care of them while kids, like you were saying, Dan, kids are coming over. It's called a waterfall when all these kids are coming over the barricade at the same time. Yeah. And Coachella is really amazing wow. with uh, paramedics because they don't judge. You got to remember a lot of these kids for whatever, you know, they're doing their X and all that stuff. And it's 118 and they're falling like flies. <laughs> I had to pick up a paramedic once and put him on my shoulder while he was working on someone. He just tipped over on the girl fainted because their work's so hard. And uh, there's a, yeah, there's a tent next to the stage that had over 200 paramedics. That's oh, how much is going on full time. You know, not many fights. It's it, Coachella. I've done festivals that they Canada, for whatever reason, I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with it. They get drunk. They all think they're hockey players and they try to fight. So <laughs> you know, I don't know why, but when I'm with Metallica, I've only had three major injuries with Metallica and it was always in Canada. Some guy jumping on stage trying to do something stupid. And I literally broke my shoulder and tricep on a guy and, and just threw him off the, the stage. Uh, I have to tell this story. So he gets on, I tackle him. We, we don't promote that or, you know, condone that at all. But at some point you got to protect your band. So I take him down pretty hard. 
And what happens is all the security around know they fucked up, so they overreact and they jump on him. And I, you guys have had dead arm before, right? Where you're just, your arm's dead. There's nothing there. So I'm wearing a, a, a headset. So when I hit him, my headset's like over to the side now, and I have a dead arm. <laughs> so we're walking out. It happened to be the end of the show. So we're, we're walking down and going towards the dressing room. And the first time in my 20 years, this big girl jumps out from like 10 rows up and lands right in front of me. And again, my, my thing's over here. It's, yeah, yeah. She's my <laughs> wife now. Thanks for asking. No. <laughs> so I pushed her to the side and I, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here in Canada? It was Winnipeg, right? So we go <laughs> and we put the guys in the dressing room and the paramedics come and they look at my shoulder and the one guy literally almost throws up in his face. like, he goes, you got to go to the hospital now. And I go, okay. So I go into the band and I go, hey guys, I got to go to the hospital. And they look at my shoulder. It's all fucked up. My triceps this big. <laughs> and the singer, singer looks at me and goes, that fat chick did that to you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I ended up going to the hospital. Luckily we're in Canada. So the insurance was no issue, but I got to tell you what happened. So I get there. Oh, three hours waiting singer comes to get me we're standing there and the doctor looks at me and goes wow that's the that's the second person that's been here from the show i go oh really who's the other one he goes ah he looks like a hockey player he had a broken sternum separated shoulder lower back injury he, i go really is he still here it was the motherfucker i tackled yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, so is he still here? Can I maybe say hello? And he goes, Yeah, he's still. And he realized what he said. He goes, No, 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 no. I he left a long time ago. I don't know what. I don't even know why I'm talking to you. I don't even know if I'm a doctor. And he just walks out of the room, got out of there as quick as he could. Oh, that's funny. I wanted to ask you guys if, if it's okay to ask you a question. You guys, no, no, question. no, it's a talk show, no question. With you guys are well aware of stolen valor, obviously, and all that stuff. So the military is stolen valor, people oh, pretending yeah. right. to be the military. But what I've noticed in my going to bars and UFC, there's a lot of people that pretend to be fighters. How do you deal with that? Do you right. ever hear about this and just want to bitch slap the guy what do you do because i i couldn't imagine being in your position and someone talking about you know their i actually knew people that did what i did for a living that pretended to be ufc fighters it didn't go well yeah. at all but i was curious how you guys deal with that i go talk ahead there mr fry i keep talking to him i talk him up and i see how big it gets you know how big the story is you know <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's just fucking great at some point, do they cop or are they just too many drinks in and they're oh, like, no, they, they keep going. They're, they're good. You know, they're, they're, they're the hero of the UFC. And the only reason they're not the champ is because politics, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, I'll, I'll say that uh, on any given say a Friday or Saturday, you've oh, got God. more guys and gals that will show up wearing UFC oh. hats, UFC t-shirts, most of them can't even spell UFC, let alone MMA. And uh, but yeah. they have just enough alcohol that uh, yeah. oh yeah, they're they're pushing certain limits. I mean, I I, I kind of learned over time that uh, 
I do my appearances a little bit earlier, not as yep. late in the <laughs> evening, so that now they don't have too much of that liquid yeah. courage into them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because they'll start coming up like, oh, I thought you'd be bigger. Oh, yeah. You don't look so tough. I mean, then they then they see your signature, like, uh, boy, you, you kind of write like a girl. I go, what does that mean? <laughs> because it's legible or something like that. You can actually yeah. read the signature or something like that. So, I mean, oh. it's a... Uh, I it's can't just a imagine. wacky world, just like Don yeah. said. You just you let them talk, let them make them feel like they're the king or whatever. But it's kind of like going, you know, yeah. just you learn from it. That's all you learn. <laughs> and like the next time, you just back it a little bit earlier, so you don't have to worry about that. I struggle with the <laughs> fact I was working on tour with someone who was there before me at the band. So I showed up, and I, I won't get into it because he'll figure out who he is, but. It was rough because I knew none of it was true. And I also am not a snitch or a rat. And I'm like, he's here before me. But everything he said, you're like, so one day he spoke Portuguese. So he said he was part of the Gracie family. He's, you know, every story. Yeah, it was crazy. And then one day we were training and I, I went to the gym about 15 minutes after him and he was hitting a heavy bag. And I was like, <laughs> no, I thought he was, jo- I thought he saw me. So he was joking how bad yeah. he was. So I, at that point, honestly, I felt like this. Bad. Oh yeah. And this is the guy <laughs> who has to have my back if anything goes oh, down. Oh, so it's a huge concern that, you know, that's the guy who's got your back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you, you want to be a football coach. So what sports did you play when you were growing up? I, pl- I played them all when I was young and uh, we, we were a divorced family. So we were super poor after my parents divorced. So we lived yeah. in the trailer park in Michigan and I just never came home and I just played every sport. And uh, we haven't discussed this, but I, you know, I don't know if this is a format, but I'm also an artist. So I became an artist that I was doing eventually in my twenties, I was doing pieces for Michael Jordan and Shaquille wow. O'Neal the cover of Sports Illustrated and all that. And the well, point what, of that- what, what area of art though? I mean, I mean, a painter? Um, yeah, a I was doing or... photorealistic. So it's a it's pencil, colored pencils against uh, a, a colored paper, but it looks like a photo. And I'm not just saying that, it's just the style is photorealistic. Yeah. And they kind of found me and ESPN put me on a show. And then I became a regular on that show. So I quit bodyguarding for three years and I ended up doing a ton of artwork. And what made me good is I, I'm not super creative, unfortunately, the rest of my family is, but I can see like if I were to do it, Dan, your face is showing up right now. I can see literally 30 colors in your face and I see a lot of things people don't. And that was the same way with coaching. I wasn't the greatest athlete, but I could repeat it as good as the coach could. So at a young age, I became a young coach in the Valley and we were going for the state championships. We we're doing really well. And I thought I was going to be the youngest head coach at that time. And then I got offered the bodyguarding job, which I made a little bit mo- money, but I still have a passion for football for, for all the sports. And then I trained, not going to pretend in any way like you guys do, but I got into Muay Thai a little bit. Um, and so I would train at the jet center in, in, uh, in the Valley for a little. And then when I get on the road, I would try to find someone that I could just hit the bag with more, just obviously for, for work. Um, but I always had the passion that the fighters have and the athletes have, and I just 
So I'm 61 right now. And I trained since I was 16, five days a week for 35 years. So Ken knows I'm at the gym every day. I'm not gifted, yeah. genetically gifted like Ken okay. is, but I just, I keep fit. I keep strong. And I think you're doing it for the client. I think you yeah. have no excuse when you're being paid a lot of money to show up soft or yeah. not trained or not at your best. Yeah. I just don't think it's fair to them. And they Tony, see. Tony's they showing see. me. Tony's showing me some of your drawings, and uh, you know, basketball players and yeah. rock stars. I, I don't see any fighters. Yeah. What the hell's wrong with your problem, man? <laughs> I have. Wait, wait, wait. Before is Muhammad Ali a fighter? Because I did about ten of Muhammad Ali. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. Yeah, and uh, Jersey Joe Walcott. I did. Oh. Um, yeah, but I. It's it's weird now. I, I don't have. They're not fighters. They're boxers. Boxers, exactly. exactly. <laughs> hey, dude, if you're volunteering the photos, I'll, I'll get something done for both of you guys right now. Trust me. I'm actually working on something for Clay right now, but he's not supposed to know that. Um, <laughs> I won't tell. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a lot of fighters I, I, I'd love to do, definitely. Uh, right now, not a ton of time to draw. When, when you get home from a tour, yeah. you just want to do the normal shit, you know, get to the gym, find a find a pub, have some whiskey, watch some fights, you know, get on the, the motorcycle, put autopilot and have it get you back to the house. And that, that's right. about it for me. So, did, so did, drawing did is feel, hard to find. Do you feel safe driving to a motorcycle anymore though, Tom? I mean, it's a, uh, we, we live in this world where people are, you know, a lot of drivers are preoccupied a great deal with, uh, their, their cell phones, uh, texting, talking, oh, no. and I'm seeing more and more accidents take place all the time. And this guy going, wow, I'm a yeah. very, very it's, distracted driver. Yeah, it's certainly taking the fun out of it because you literally have to assume every car in front of you is going to make a left. Every parked car is going to pull out in front of you. So it takes a lot of the fun away. I won't lie. Yeah. Uh, L.A. was the worst, though, because you're on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and cars are just tilting into you, so... It has enough power that if you're paying attention, you can get away quick, but it's exhausting, man. You ride for an hour and it feels like your, your head wants to explode because you're not relaxing at all, which is the point of riding motorcycles. But here it's nice, man. They have some really cool rides from Austin to San Antonio and a lot of cool biker like hangouts and stuff out here. You know, So you, you get to meet some people that ride. They're the same way too. After they get drunk, they, you know, they beat everybody up in Vietnam or whatever. This, you know, everybody drinks and tells stories out here too. It's no different, you know. I, Dan, uh, and Don, what I, I usually don't talk about security. So my running joke is, I, I do security, so I can't tell you any stories. But if you get me drunk on whiskey, I won't shut the fuck up. I'll just keep telling stories. <laughs> they have to. They're like, dude, it's been five hours. You got to get out of here. You know? <laughs> I, I want to tell you one quick thing. When I was doing Metallica in Lincoln Park at the same time, which is very rare, and Las Vegas had a show called Rocket Rio. And the same day, they had about 10 bands, and Lincoln Park played at six, and Metallica was headlining. And one of the guys from Lincoln Park invited Matt Brown from the UFC to, to watch the Lincoln Park show. And then my, my wife now was with some friends, and she was at a... a a hotel bar right across from the and she ran into Nate Diaz so she's like can I bring Nate over and I said yeah of course so 
he came, I met him, he had a crew with him, really nice guys. And then I invited them both on stage for Metallica because we had an area where you could put people. And so I saw Matt after Lincoln Park. I'm like, do you want to come up? He's like, fuck yeah, I love to see Metallica. I invited Nate. And as I was walking the stage, it hit me like they might not like each other and they <laughs> might start a brawl on the side of the stage and everybody's going to go, where did these guys come from? And everybody's just going to point at me. <laughs> so luckily, I think respectfully, Nate was too high to make it up to the staircase. I don't think he would have found the staircase, but I mean, I something you don't think you're going to worry about that. There's going to be a UFC fight on the stage of a Metallica show. Um, and <laughs> When we were in, hey, you gotta uh, be careful. City. You gotta be careful about that because nobody likes Dan Severn. So anywhere he goes, <laughs> <laughs> always getting in trouble. Yes, always getting yeah, in trouble. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we were in Atlantic City with Metallica, and we were doing a festival, and it was Thursday, and on Friday there was a fight, and the, the promoter asked us if we wanted to go see a, a UFC fight. And of course, I wanted to. I had to talk the singer into going and we went we had a great time and we got down pretty close to the ring we got introduced to dana and his security and all that but the cameras were just on my singer the whole time at some point i was like we can't even see the show is anyway right. and clay was fighting gray maynard at the time clay guida against gray maynard and he said his corner after the second round was metallica's here <laughs> he's like and it's clay's favorite band of all time so he he's in a tough fight and he's like which one is it james and he goes yeah oh fuck that's my favorite so they're talking about that during the fight he goes dude you got another round so they went out unfortunately he lost the fight and the next day we had a show and the girl pr had seen clay in the crowd so he had a broken orbital he had mris he was in the hospital for six hours and he got there just in time to get into the mosh pit <laughs> oh wow that's how oh, wow. crazy this motherfucker is so my wow. pr girl or rp the pr girl from the test sees him puts him on the side of the stage so i'm on stage left he's on stage right and i keep looking over there i'm like dude that looks like clay but with the big swollen head and he's wearing big glasses <laughs> his head was so big so i i slid around the back and he was embarrassed because he had lost. And I go, bro, we are so stoked to see you. It was his first fight. And that's how I met Clay. And that was about seven years ago. And I don't know if you know this about Clay, but no UFC fighter goes to more concerts than him. That's all he does. He gets in a big Winnebago and goes all over the country watching fight, watching concerts. So I've been fortunate enough to be with cool bands from Green Day and Robert Plant, where he comes and brings a crew with him. And he's really been lucky enough to meet his favorite idols, which is Metallica and then Robert Plant and Led Zeppelin. So we have that bond through music. Mm -hmm. um, and I've meeting a lot of fighters. I hear that music is a big part of their training. They're walking out. Um, I was gonna ask you guys, musically do you listen to stuff when you're training or even lifting that kind of gets you through a workout and is there something you listen to in the locker room that gets you pumped up for a fight definitely right. go ahead Severin. no i'm gonna say i was getting ready to turn the table right on you there tom there because uh 
Yeah, I feel with you and your workouts stuff like that, that you probably enjoy music Love when it. you're working out. Well, I, mean, I think I think most athletes enjoy yeah. something that's a little bit more amped up while they're working out, just so that it kind of gets them in, into the rhythm. Whether yeah. you're lifting weights or banging yeah. on heavy bags and stuff like that, you want something that's a little bit more amped up and, uh, right. you know, get you, get you fired up. Every I'm once like, in a while I see a fighter coming out to light music, and I always wonder yeah. what that's about. Is it getting them to a metal? Tative state, or what? What's that? What's going on with that? I don't know. I think they're a goof. I like fight of the bumblebee, <laughs> dude. I'm I'm thinking you're like a Leonard Skinner or freaking old school. <laughs> yep. Do you listen to Southern rock yeah. and classic rock and all that? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Johnny Cash. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I grew up on. So for me. Uh, Metallica, I love Metallica. I got to be honest, before I worked with them, I was I didn't know that much about them. And I know they were massive. And everybody's like, you're either going to love or hate it. And you get a true appreciation for, you know, just like you guys do when you're training and you see someone great at jujitsu or great at striking. You're like, OK, that's not what I do, but that's really impressive to watch someone. I'm the same way. There's types of music I don't listen to. But if they're really good at it, it's fucking impressive. You're like, God, these guys are so good. They figured out, you know, what it is. And for me, uh, music's huge. Always has been for training. But, you know, it's not, I'm not saying it just because we're on a podcast. But I listen to podcasts now all the time. I was going to tell you guys one thing that's interesting because, you know, when you travel, you, you're going to be 200 days of traveling. So it could be about 100 to 150 gyms. So you can imagine how many different gym stories you have, because every gym is goofy in its own way. Yeah, There's not right. a gym in the world you don't go to where you're like, why is this dude naked in the bathroom blowing his balls? You know, you're like, why is this so strange? Every gym is so bizarre. But I've been in like Latvia, Russia, and all this stuff where it's super intense, you know, being the tourist and kind of coming in there. Um, but I, one time I was in Alabama and I had breakfast at a Waffle House and they told me about a gym. So I went into the gym and basically as I was bench pressing, I looked up and I just saw a lot of like 666 and really aggressive death metal. And I look around and figure it it called itself like Satan's den or some crazy shit like that. So like, how can I get a good workout in and not get killed on the way out of here? Cause it was super intense. And then when I went to the parking lot, every car is a truck with gun racks and guns. I'm like, I do. I'm not sure this is the place to come back to. But, wow. Yeah. There's just so much different stuff going on. I don't see anything wrong with that. Anything at all. <laughs> Yeah, I just didn't want my Olivia Newton John song to come out of my, uh, <laughs> my Walkman at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, with you, with you traveling to all these countries, I mean, uh, have you picked up any like a little local languages so that you could just say a few token type things? Yes. I mean, yeah. You said, okay. Yeah. So someone, I traveled in, in early in, someone said, like, you don't speak this language. I'm like, dude, we're in 40 countries a year. How could I speak all 40? So right. what I did is I made a list of like 30 words anywhere from, you know, hello, how are you? How far, how long can we do this? And I, as soon as I get into the car with the interpreter, every country, I would write that list. Right. And then I talk to the hotel manager or 
the restaurant manager, and they love that you're just making an attempt. Yeah. Because there's this whole thing about the dumb American comes over there. Why are you all not speaking English in Paris? And they're like, what are you doing here? You know, so it shows a lot. And I'm terrible. I, I have the worst accent. But because I'm trying as the American guy that's running, a, you know, the security for a tour of saying, I know I speak terrible, but I'm trying my best. They love it because you're yeah. showing them respect. But, I yeah. totally, totally agree with what you're saying. That that I, I did the exact same thing. I'd always have just that working list of hellos, thank yous, goodbyes. At least you're attempting something, and it really it goes a long ways with uh, yeah. the folks that you're you're around. So, and, the fact that you attempted. Yeah, no, and we've had some funny stories where the singer will get someone and say, "How do I say this?" You know, and he's just fucks it up and says like, hey, I killed your mother in a blender or something, you know, you're like, he tried to say something really nice, you know, and it just, you know, the whole crowd goes, ooh, and I'm like, I don't think that's what <laughs> So it's, it always comes down to intent, you know, you're trying to do the right thing, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. You just, but, did, uh, you just did an event with Bellator, right? Last week? Yeah, yeah. That was the million dollar Grand Prix. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh it was cool for me because in, in the inner circle is where I kind of post up. So like I said, Mike Beltran, Frank Trigg are both referees. So in between each uh each fight, I'm talking to one of them. And then Clay's right on the outside. And uh it's it's hard because I can't really watch the fights. Because right. there right. was there's always a little bit of issues, but there was some long beach gang members there supposedly and so we had to keep an eye on people it worked out great everybody was cool the police there i work with really close so it's just like going to a raider game there's fights breaking out up at the top and over here there's this going on but our goal is what we do our company is we're really just making sure the fighters are protected and can get from their dress room to the ring and back but one thing I want to tell you guys, that it's really interesting until I talk to the security team. So if you go to a rock show, everybody wins, right? You're, you're going to see a band you love. So unless they're totally terrible, everybody leaves, they're happy, they're excited, they had a great night, got a buzz, everything's cool. These guys of 32 fighters, half of them are going to lose. Right. So half of them in some of the opening fights, this might be the third fight of a three fight contract. They might be working at Staples next week if they don't wait. So you're dealing with a lot of emotions. So I go to the security and go, the normal things that are important to you are not now. You're dealing, I had a girl whose husband just got knocked out. She's not allowed to come into the inner circle. You have to be flexible and go, this is one time you can because you know, you're empathetic for these people. And think about that. 16 people are going ahead. And as you guys know, 16 people times there are three guys that are training them. There are other people in the camp, their family. There's a lot of people disappointed and there's frayed edges and frayed nerves after a fight. And sometimes the camps get a little, you know, a little shady with each other. And you just got to slide the cops in real nice and go, guys, we're all good. No one wants to go home in handcuffs. It's been a rough night. Let's get you home safe and just try to calm them down and just kind of really talk to them and don't point and don't, you know, don't go, hey, shut the fuck. You just got to talk to these people. But it's much more sensitive 
than a rock show or sporting event, uh, another sporting event, because the cost of someone losing can be, as you guys know, very dramatic. So you try to give them a soft place to land that if they have a, uh, a rough night, we're there to kind of get them back to the hotel safe. Yeah, and all eyes are on that one person, whereas in a team, you know, they can hide you know, be fight behind somebody else. But yeah, when they're fighting, it's just them, you know? Yeah. But what about your, your team? I mean, when you, it's very few losses for you guys, but when you lose, they're, they're down too. They've, they've been with you every step of the way. They're, you know, they kind of take the loss themselves. Correct. With right. You. But I mean, they, they, they look at you for how you're going to respond, you know? Oh yeah. How you gonna react? And you know, once once you come, you crack a joke, you know, then then, then they relax. Then, yeah, it breaks the ice. Yeah, and they yeah. know, you know, hey, shit happens. You know, we we didn't we didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. You know, you can't. The guys it. you trained with are they still in your life? Like, do you still know these guys? Are they oh, still hell brothers? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah, they're good guys, man. They're good yeah. guys, and. um you know, I, I trust them with my life, you know, right. and uh, they're, they're just solid, solid people, man, all the way around. Now, because of what you guys, sorry, I'm interviewing, but I'm curious. I know the intensity of what I don't pretend to know, but I know I could see the intensity of a loss or a tough fight. Um, how long does it take you to recover after something like that? Are you ready to just get back in and turn that around or you just, I got to let my body heal, my mind heal, or is every fight different? It takes two weeks to recover. If you don't get hurt, win yeah. or lose, win or lose, yeah. you know, it's two weeks to recover. It does me. I don't know. Ask Mr. Severn. <laughs> well, see, I, Tom, I'm, 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 I'm uh, a little bit different category there than what uh, Don and the regular guys did. I mean, it was, uh, there wasn't much money in the UFC when you first began. So, I kind of did it more or less as a hobby, hobby <laughs> so yeah. to speak. So it was, uh, yeah, I mean, out of, uh, out of, well, I've got over a hundred uh, cage fights. I mean, right. I only ever did two training camps, once for 32 days, once for 35 days for UFC five and for the ultimate ultimate the rest of the time. Right. I mean, I was always running, I was always, I was always running classes at my training facility and and I'd always would like it when there was an odd number of uh, participants because if there's an odd number, that means I get to play. But right. if there's e e even numbers, all I am is the the barking general, the coach. It's making certain that everything is is flowing nicely. But uh, that's where I mean, I, I always felt that I ran a good practice because I never had anyone anybody ever get hurt in practices, and that was a, a big thing because you can't you can't train a hundred percent. Because, well, first off, you're going to run out of workout partners. Nobody wants yeah. to be a punching dummy for you. Right. And you don't want to be a punching dummy for somebody else. So 10% uh, of uh, flare. So I was always good about when I started to see a group of three starting to flare a little bit. Okay, change them up with other people. So yeah, interesting. That, yeah. yeah. That, 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 Which, again, that was just me. Not to put you guys, I, sometimes I feel when I watch younger kids and millennials, I'm like the old guy, get off the grass, you little fuckers. Do you, when you watch fighting now, and obviously it's transitioned and changed so much. I know that football players now think, or old school football players think the game is soft now. 
it's changed so much. It's certainly different. It's, the rules have changed. Do you look at the amount of training and go, I wish I could have done that? Or they're just soft. They could have never hung with us and done three fights a night or any of that stuff. Or is there kind of a mutual appreciation where the sport has gone? I mean, I'll jump in there first. I mean, I, I actually, you know, I look at the sport overall. It has evolved immensely from where it first was. Right. Um, the, the skill set, the the fighters, they're, they're, they're much more well-rounded. I mean, I would always tell people I was a one-trick pony out there. I mean, I was, I was a good grappler, a good wrestler. And going up against a striker, I, I just knew that striker only had that one chance yeah, to either yeah. kick knee, elbow, or uh, uh, do anything of that nature. Because the moment that I would clinch them or take them out or jam them up against a cage wall, I mean, there I've neutralized ninety plus percent of their arsenal. Right. But I uh, but I've also during my practices I train guys to do what I, I refer to as close quarter combatives, sure. how to punch with it with the, with that shoulder how to jaw jack a guy how to stomp how to stomp the foot rake the shin um i mean even if they're on your back how to throw that that heel back heel into the, the shin and throw elbow shots back into the ribs and and just to get get them off you so i mean you know stuff that you're i'll say that you're throwing punches and stuff like that almost like a professional wrestler you're going through the, the mechanical motions and stuff like that, but you're still not making contact or very minimal contact, just to let them know that you're there. But I'm also doing it as a physical aspect, but then also verbalizing. I'll, I'll go into elbow strike. And, and, yeah. and, and again, but I just, but just to touch it and realize, holy shit, if you would have really done that for real, it, they would have been you know sucking air yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. So Do I just you... know that it, the, more, the more senses that you incorporated the more proficient you will become. When you guys, Don, there's no way you could have projected this sport to kind of do what it did now, right? Did you see any of this coming? No, hell, we thought we were going to jail. <laughs> <You know? laughs> again, we used to say, you know, after the fight, you, you got two options. You, you go to the hospital, you go to the after party. Oh, yeah. the, third, the third option was go to jail. And, you know, that was always... <laughs> Always hovering around back there, but luckily nobody ever did. You know, they never followed through. But yeah. the threat, the threat was always there. Yeah. 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 What do you uh, think of the fact that it went from kind of what you guys are doing to now that the 16 or the 12 year old is literally one night grappling, one night jujitsu, one night this, one night that? They said about five years ago, it felt like you're getting the ultimate MMA guy now because they're kind of not great at everything, but good at everything. And then as they get older, hopefully great. What do you think about that? Do you like that? Or do you like just, you know, basically seeing a great wrestler learn how to strike and those are like the two things, or do you think jujitsu is something that it, the submission is just so big now that you just have to know how to defend that or sprawl or, I, I, I actually, well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now that uh, I see a lot of parents that, uh, you know, fathers especially, they're, they're kind of living vicariously through their sons, of and of uh, they're they're trying to get them involved in, say, a wrestling program, but then maybe a jujitsu program as well. So they're getting right. the best of both both worlds. I mean, right. you know, because I, I mean, I always tell people, I, got, I just, I'm basically a stats guy. You look at the stats, if you look at the top ten men per weight class. 
uh, eight or nine of them are going to have wrestling as a background. It's a great foundation for body positioning, body control, leverage, but it doesn't teach you the aspects of chokeholds. It doesn't teach you the aspects of strikes. You know, but that competitive spirit, yeah, I mean, there, there's still something. If you've got a winning wrestler, there is a, uh, there's a bullheaded heart and, and determination that they have behind them. So learning right. other aspects of punching submissions is not that tough. But as I said earlier, you do have in today's uh, fighter a much more well-rounded, complete mm -hmm. athlete that that can strike. You've right. got wrestlers that can strike with the best of strikers, yeah, and strikers right. that can now grapple with the best of the grapplers. So you've got that well all-around athlete now. Do you guys look at anybody now and go, "He could have fought in our time," like his style? You just maybe just respect his heart and just. So, someone you just go that he could have fought in our time, Mr. Fry. I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking you know, I'll go, I'll go with Clay Guida, you know, um, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, there's there's maybe uh 15 20 guys, you know? yeah, yeah. There, there are there are athletes that, that could that could compete. Um, from today's era that could compete uh, what uh, the no holes barred era was, was sort of like. That tournament format is difficult because a lot of them, and, and that's where the wrestler background really comes into play because wrestlers are used to going into tournaments and having multiple matches. And I think for, for longest time, the max was, uh, I think you couldn't have more than five matches in any particular day. Now we think about five matches. That's, that's a lot of matches, you know, in the UFC eight man tournament, you had to have three victories in order to win. So you, yeah. you had to make certain that you exerted the least amount of effort, maximum results, trying to not to take any kind of punishment or injuries going into match number two. And right. the same way then uh, in preparation be, before going into the final match and hoping that right. they're whoever you're facing, you're, you're hoping that their matches keep going longer and that that's exactly. making a little bit more punishment because, yeah. you know, there's, there have been people that have won in the past, but were unable to then compete in the next round because they, they broke a hand sure. or, sure. and uh, they were unable to, to progress on. Yeah. And yeah then, uh, during, during that tournament format, they did not have alternates. You know, that were, that were, uh, yeah. ordered to put in, in your so place. That's Gotcha. So, so that fight even, was forfeited. The other guy wins the fight. Just yeah, but but at the same token, is that fair now that an alternate comes in that has not had no has not right. had no previous fights there as well? He's fresh, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh, there, there's a lot of pros and cons. So yeah. you know, the UFC was doing the best they could at the time, and they were underneath a great deal of scrutiny because you you did have a lot of. Uh, uh, politicians and legislators that were trying to do away with this yeah. this barbaric, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, sport altogether. Right. You know, you're and looking you at in wrestling. You know, you got Division One wrestlers that you know shit. We were one night. I had five matches. You know, at the Las Vegas tournament. You know, didn't get done till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. You know, I mean, uh, and then then they get your ass back up and start again at nine o'clock. You know, seven. Oh, <laughs> so, so your body's not recovering at all. 
at all. There's no way you're getting enough sleep to recover from. Oh, you recover because you go through it every day. You know, every day you're in a two and a half hour street fight. You know, so gotcha. your body, your body's trained for it. Gotcha. Now, wrestling is a, well, again, it's a very unique sport in the sense when you look at, you're walking into a practice room that is probably close to 90 some degrees in the first place. And you walk in there, sometimes when you just open up that wrestling room door, the heat wave just hits you. It's like, oh my God. In this That's <laughs> two, two and a half hours, I'm going to be in here just sweating my butt yeah. off here. I mean, but yeah. that's, I, I, I can tell you, Tom, that uh, an average workout for me, I'd be losing between eight and 10 pounds of water weight during a two and a half hour practice. And, and I was drinking water the entire time, but you're just sweating that much. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, uh, Ken, how did you get involved with that? The the coach. How did you become a coach for that the international teams? How did that go about? Oh, that was uh, you know like Don Dan knows, but uh, yeah, I initially went to Antonio Inoki, you know, who fought Muhammad Ali, and uh, yeah, he of course he's not gonna coach the team. He's probably would be owning the league. So, yeah, right. Yeah, right. so I, I got the spot instead of Mr. Inoki and started to coach. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's how it happened. But I was, uh, you know, started the karate when I was little in judo. So I, I got a good understanding of that movement and everything. Right. And uh, my strength was, uh, you know, strength and conditioning. So I got all the fighters made their weight on time without losing electrolytes, minerals, anything. So, yeah. Yeah, I disagree the way of Kavara's uh, going in sauna, squeezing, squeezing out water, losing minerals, and get the electrolyte unbalanced. They can't recover in one day. So, okay, let's be smart here. Use science to get rid of water weight and make the weight, and which I had to do it in professional bodybuilding. So right. it was a piece of cake for me. But, you know, on my team, I had the guys do it, and it worked very well. But, you know, yeah. But I Did have, some like, of those guys go on to become, you know, champions or any any of the guys that you had on your team? Yeah, one of them was uh, Vladimir Matushenko. He already had a couple UFC title shots, fought to Andrei Olowski and Tiro Ortiz. They did lost, so came to the IFL, and he beat up everybody. But, you know, he was, he was good. And I think he was, uh, yeah, he was originally a wrestler, NCAA division champ, I think, Arizona State. I don't know. Dan might know him, uh, coach to him possibly, but uh, yeah. yeah, that was uh, uh, differences. I took care for strength and conditioning. So yeah, but like you're saying, the old school guys like Don and Dan. I mean, these guys, I think, started to fight because they're trying to prove who's the toughest guy. And now it's like a UFC. It's like uh, the guys are very skilled, but I think that uh, you know they. I looked at the athletes, not like a real old school fighters who are real tough guys. So that's my point of view. Yeah. Well, thus it's a, I got into it because of competition factor, you know, I mean, yeah. once you're done with wrestling, uh, it doesn't, you know, college, you either go to the Olympics or you go home, you know? Right. And I had no chance in hell of making the Olympic team. And so I, I went home, got a job and, you know, when I saw Dan doing it, I, I called him up and said, hey, Dan, 
Don Fry, you remember me? (laughs) (laughs) How do you get in on this stuff? Well, again, I mean, I I knew I mean I knew Don uh, well more. I mean, I was a a sister wrestling coach at Arizona State at the time when when Don was actually wrestling there. And but but Don also lived with a couple of my younger brothers, and uh, so I knew Don, you know, much more like a family member at that point. And uh, he 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 left Arizona State, went over to uh, Oklahoma. And uh, basically, yep, I'm sorry, Oklahoma State, and did uh, did some boxing and stuff like that. Also at that time, so Don actually was a much more complete uh, competitor. You know, uh, you know, I I always tell people that I only helped Don get his foot in the door. Don Fry kicked that door wide open for himself. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, well, there wasn't a lot for like Don said for wrestlers to do. Do you think the younger wrestlers now in college are? in the back of the mind already thinking about UFC as an option or MMA as an option? I know that that actually is one of the recruiting opportunities for Arizona State. Um, you've got, uh, why am I drawing a blank here right now on the head wrestling coach here? Can you help me out there, Don, head coach here? Zeke at Jones. Maybe not. Zeke? Yeah, Zeke okay, Jones. Zeke Jones. Yeah, yeah Zeke, Zeke Jones. Zeke Jones also from the, the state of Michigan. Zeke's been the head coach here for a number of years now, and uh, Zeke knows that uh, he, there's also the the Sunkist Wrestling Program. It's a freestyle and Greco program that's associated with uh, Air, uh, Arizona State, and there's opportunities. So between first, first off, you've got Arizona State's wrestling program, then you've got uh, the Sunkist Freestyle and Greco program, but then there's also that uh, other opportunity that. The state of Arizona has had more UFC and or I should say just international MMA competitors and Arizona State University has had more champs and or more competitors, I think, than any other university in the United States. And that's just pure fact. So a lot of it has to do with the Sunkiss Wrestling Program and uh, Art Martori and uh, Zeke Jones. Yeah, I think... Just following Clay, he ends everything with wrestling is life. Every every email, every text is wrestling is life. And he works with kids daily, which obviously makes me like him even more. And what do you think when you give back to the sport like that, especially while he's active, were you guys, as you were fighting, still coaching and, and, and doing that while you were fighting? Not me. <laughs> I was all about me. <laughs> Don was actually doing an actual uh, training camp where, again, I was, and, and I, I still do. I mean, amateur wrestling, Tom, amateur wrestling is, is still my first love of teaching. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like uh, going out on that mat, knowing that I'm walking out on the mat here with uh, 30 to 40 young guys that probably really don't know who I am unless they Googled me earlier that name. Which they I'm, do. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm just too old here right now. So they'll, uh, I have to win them over with actual content. And uh, I'm, I always tell people that I'm actually a better coach than I was a competitor. And I wasn't that bad as a competitor either. No, so yeah. I, I, I really like to know the fact that I'm going to win people over with what yeah. I'm going to show them. And, and I like watching. I, I, I do a lot yeah. of, of analyzation. So if, if, if an athlete sends me three of their matches, but in the three matches, I, I don't know exactly what they're good at, what they're bad at, what their what their strengths are, weaknesses are. I'll I'll write up uh, all kinds of uh, 
training head programs and what they should be doing and uh, what they're going to be susceptible, or even up to a point that maybe a little bit of a weightlifting program, cardiovascular program, and nutrition thrown on the side there. That's right. I, I guarantee my results knowing that they will give up. They will give up upon themselves before I'll ever give up on them. Right. There's something so fulfilling about coaching is that, I mean, it's, it's amazing when someone's actually hearing what you're saying and, and seeing that it works. There's nothing that feels better when they're like, Oh shit, this actually works coach. You know, <laughs> It's such a yeah, shock. Because you know? I can tell you as going through life, as I got older, I even watched like hard knocks on HBO. I'm such a prick. I hate half the coaches. I'm like, that's a terrible <laughs> You know, like motivation is real important to me. And I hear someone's, you know, we were watching a UFC fight and one of the coaches like, try harder. And you're like, try harder. That's that's your fucking coach. You know, yeah. get, so, get, get, coach, down. get up. You know, yeah, don't, exactly. don't, don't get hit. Yeah. OK. Yeah. What right. <laughs> and I used to hear that in football all the time. They're like, try harder, push them back. You're like, dude, tell me which side is my leg right. going? Where, where right. am I swimming him? Am I ear holding them? Someone talk to me, you know. Yeah, give me and, something uh, technical. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> now, do you hear that when you're in the ring and you're kind of in your corner? You hear everything, or you hear nothing? You're just. No, I, I generally hear one guy at Steve Owen. You know, Steve's been my judo sensei for yeah. thirty years. You know, and um, and uh, he, he he's the guy. You know that I I've tuned my ear. You know, to yeah. his voice. Yeah, so I, I hear him. I was really good about when they finally started going to doing the timed rounds. I was really big about my corner always yelling out that there's yes, you know, there are five minute rounds. I'd say yell out at four minute mark, three minute mark, yeah. and then at the, after the three minute mark, two and a half, two, one yeah. and a half. You know, on the thirty second increments because if I'm losing, I, I'm thinking that I could turn things around in a thirty second increment. Yeah. I could do a lot of change around to end up trying to win a round because a lot of it is just put you know putting on a show, portraying, knowing where you're at, and, and that's where ironically, utilizing some of the psychology that I learned from the wacky world of professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To utilize that as well to try to win that crowd over. Sure. I mean, it's a. Yeah. I, I've taught that to a lot of uh, different uh, athletes there as well. I mean, you gotta, you know, to use that, and, and, and uh, it, it has worked. Did you catch that during COVID when UFC were doing the fights with no crowds that the fighters could hear Joe Rogan in DC talking? No. Yeah, so they're hearing them give advice. <laughs> and one guy won the fight and thanked DC. He goes, "Thanks, man. I, I heard everything you said." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, I, but 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 there's the, 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 again that the, that crowd aspect which you talked about, though, Tom. That makes yeah. a a world of difference there because some people they wonder, you know, they're athletes that if you put them out in front of a crowd, they rise. It's kind of like the biggest vitamin B12 shot that they've ever had, yeah. and then you have other athletes that uh, they'll choke. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you just never know until that time comes and no, that they're actually out in front of that that live crowd. I'm better in yeah. front of a crowd. Ken, how'd you meet Tom? Where did we meet? Oh, we met in the gym, huh? Yeah, what a shock. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ken in the gym. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the smallest Japanese guy. <laughs> was, he, was he wearing his real tight shorts? <laughs> no, le leggings, leggings. Yeah. <laughs> leggings. 
tight. <laughs> I was like, those aren't calves, those are cows, man. What are you doing? Big, <laughs> biggest legs, biggest legs in the world. I always stay motivated. I'm always looking at, you know, who's pushing and going, fuck it, I got to step my game up. You know, that's kind of, if you're going to train for years and years, you, you, we, as you guys did with Red, you got to kind of talk yourself into what it takes to, you know, go to that next step. And for right. me, I right. always tell people, it's just the first steps is showing up. You know, yeah. there's times, and not to complain at all, but a normal tour week for me is I'm getting up at six and I go to bed at two. So I'm on the bus and I get up at six and then the night after the show ends at two and you got to figure out where and how you're going to get your lift in. And wow. so it, it's a challenge. So for me, I definitely never had the genetics of Ken, but I'm, I'm always inspired by people that train that hard in, in no matter what they do. And I just take it to my little world and get motivated by people and go, if they're fucking doing that, I can do too. No complaints. But there's a lot of people that tour that don't find time to lift and right. complain about the food and all that stuff. It's you got to make it. Yeah, you got to make the time. You got to yeah, make it's, the it's, time. It's your priority. It's just your, your yeah. making that. that uh, it's the part of the 24 hour day. Somewhere in there, there's 90 minutes that I got to put towards. I have to say that the tours are really cool about it because in general, mm -hmm. they know it's, it's not just physical and you can't run around with, you know, all uptight, you know, dealing with kids and fans. Right. It's just not the way to interact. But if you just pound iron for 90 minutes or whatever it takes, you're just at a better place. You feel better about yourself. You're confident in all the things that come with it. But uh, I think Ken, I had moved into a new house and Ken came to my house and uh, my Japanese stepmother and sister were there and they could not and their speak perfect Japanese. They're obviously Japanese. They just couldn't stop staring at Ken the whole freaking time. They're just like, <laughs> we didn't know they made this side of people in Japan. <laughs> you know? And they're from yeah. Japan. So they're like, and of course I'm 240, which is nothing next to him. And they're like, oh, we thought you were big. Look at him. I'm like, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. And, they feel good. and uh, that was actually Chael Sonnen against Silva Knight. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, right. But, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we had just bumped into, we both owned French Bulldogs, too. Yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> so uh, I had just, during COVID, had a gym that I could kind of sneak in the back door, and I had it for almost a year. And then they literally shut down again, and I took my dog to pick him up at daycare, and there's Ken. And I hadn't seen him in a year. We got talking. I said, where are you at? So literally the next day I was at his gym. So I didn't miss a beat thanks to him. So I got, you know, all of a sudden I was seeing him every day. And yeah, that's just, timing. Yeah. Oh, it's a perfect Everything time. Wow. timing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it also revolves around our dogs, as we know. So Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Don, Don, uh, do, you, do you have your mascot, Quinn, on? Yeah. Taking a nap. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My dog wants to be a part of this too. He's just jumping out of the bed and kind of hanging out. It's like, why, why, why did he shut the door? No, he's, he's in the other room now. Uh, Texas is really dog friendly. I don't know about where you guys are at, but like the restaurants have dog bowls and. Oh, really? Yeah. They're super cool with dogs. A lot of places let you bring them in the bar if you leash them. And then they have a place here that's called Yard Bar. So it's an outdoor with like 50 
picnic tables and a bar so we could all sit around and drink and they unleash the dogs and just let them fly around in this best <laughs> area so it's pretty nice. cool it's pretty cool and the what is it uh, the the girls that watch the dogs are called bark rangers <laughs> bark rangers oh yeah so it's, it's pretty cool here that i like too everybody's got dogs so it's kind of yeah i don't know how, how how you feel about it but for me if someone's cool with their dog it, it tells you a lot right. about them right. it's it's yeah. important but uh we're gonna that was, my, that was my only complaint about president trump is he didn't own a dog you know <laughs> he he did at home either no, or i don't know. think so i don't think so yeah but i mean he, that guy's busy you know i mean he's always <laughs> yeah, he's, always working you know he, he doesn't yeah. take vacations you know every day like this one you know shit he's he's a working machine yeah well yeah i, I think a dog is is super cool for balance too right you right start getting a little whiny about shit and you're like this guy is so cool he just like you guys do, you have the rough days and he comes home, he doesn't care if you have yeah. a rough day, he just comes up and chills with you and wants to hang out. Yeah. Well, every time I come home from a trip, my wife has to hold him outside because he'll pee all over. You know. <laughs> so I just said, you know, this is not fair to him. I'm just going to come out and I'm going to pee on him and my wife yeah. pees on it. We all just pee it together. So I figure it's the only way to do it. It's but yeah, he gets <laughs> family. The neighbors don't, together, neighbors together. don't really like it a lot, but it's you know, it's, you do whatever you can for your dog. There he is. Come here, come here, Bubba. Come on. <laughs> what do you think? What's his name? Wallace. 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 Yeah, Sir William Wallace. How old oh, here is he? <laughs> yeah. How old is he? Yeah, he'll be two. This this. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Bubba. We're going to come have some good He's a cutie, but Oh, he's great. I love dogs. You have a English? Yeah, English Bulldog, yes. Love English Bulldogs. Yeah, they're great. Love. How old is he? Uh, she? she is a... Let's see. She's a 2015 model. You know, or 20, <laughs> 2016. I think 2016. Because I got her in, in 18, and she was a year and a half old then. So, gotcha. and she yeah. was already, she was trained and I ruined all that shit, man. Really yeah. Know. You got to untrain him. You got to untrain him right away. Yeah. Yeah. She's just best thing ever happened to me, man. I love English Bulldogs, man. I just, it's tough with the whole respiratory as they get older, you know, he's only two and I'm, I'm like afraid of that day. Even if it's 10 years from now, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to do well at all. As we know, several dogs so far, Tom. Have you had several several dogs? Oh, no, I was never. You know, I was always traveling, so I could never do it. I, I could never have dogs. So uh, I had my first Frenchie about ten years ago, and then when we broke up, it, you know, it went with her because I'm never around. Oh. And then my the girl I'm dating now, who's my wife now, she's she's she works, but she's around enough. And uh, right before COVID, we got him. Uh, and then I didn't know I was going to be home for a year and a half. So we, his thing is now, if I leave, which I'm going to leave tomorrow just for four days, 
he's just chilling on my pillow, trying to figure out where, where the hell the ball guy is. Why isn't he feeding me? Why is he taking me to school? I don't like this guy anymore. You know, what's going on? I'm nervous about when I leave for five weeks, which is pretty normal. In a week, I have to leave for five weeks. So, I, I, you know, I know that they're fine, but you feel for them, man, you know? Uh, sure. I got photos of Quinn sitting in my suitcase. You know, yes, I, I did that last night. I did that last night. Yeah, he jumped in my suitcase. I'm like, dude, you're killing me right now. You're killing me. I'm like, money dog, money right. dog. You know, I'll probably stay home a little bit less next year, right? Just, honestly, just for that reason. So, anyway, uh, Robert Plant goes out next year, and then I'll just keep an eye on the other tours every once in a while. Right. Um, and we'll keep, you know, we'll still do the bigger Bellator shows. Um, it's, uh, well, I mean, yeah. Is he actually, Tom, do you have a contract with Bellator? I mean, that you're doing yeah, almost all yeah. their shows? One thing that's really interesting, and not that interesting, I don't have a, a contract with anybody. It's verbal. It's, oh, I've never wow. had a contract with any tour. And I've been with, you know, Metallica on and off for 17 years. Uh, Robert, we just, it's just, listen, we think we're locked in. They can wake up tomorrow and go, Dan, you look like my uh, yeah. wife's ex-boyfriend. You're gone. Right. There doesn't have to be an explanation. And I, I have a friend of mine that's a tour manager, and we agree on one thing. The reason we've never been fired ever, which is unheard of, is because we know we can't be fired tomorrow. You know, you have to know it, it can end tomorrow. And so that's why you can't get lazy. You can't mail it in ever. And I honestly, I learn on every tour. I have a young band that's very famous right now that your nieces or children or whoever would know called 21 Pilots. And they're a really young group of kids. And I've learned how to embrace these young kids that don't look anything like me, don't have the same hobbies that I do, probably don't like the same things but they like the band I work for and I work real hard to make it a soft landing place for them because these are the kids that might get bullied at school. They might have a rough day. You know, they're not the perfect little, you know, high school kid. They struggle and we take care of them. This is their outlet. So my point was I've been doing Metallica and Slipknot and these heavy metal bands. And then I have, I actually did the TV show Glee. They did a tour and I had Glee. So one day I was in Dublin with Glee, the next day Metallica in Milan. And I know no one else has done that before. <laughs> How's you that know? working with Robert Plant? <laughs> it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I always say doing the bad tours, which I won't, I won't mention who they are, but I always joke that my penance was I got Robert Plant. It's just the greatest ever, you know? And when we were young and we're listening to Stairway to Heaven, there wasn't a chance in the world I ever thought I'd have anything to do with them. So it's one of those things you pinch yourself and stay focused and try to be a good listener because you're around them all the time and not talk too much and know where that line is. One thing I want to explain to you guys is we call there's certain people we call buddy guards who the first time a celebrity says something nice, they think they're friends. It doesn't work like that, as you know. And the one reason, and I could be wrong and I could get fired tomorrow, but I've always been asked back because I've always known where that line is. And it's Uh tough, man. 
you're sitting on a private plane watching Family Guy with the lead singer, and now you get off and there's a bunch of Russians in the bus, you have to know he's your boss again. He's not the guy who would tell jokes. Yeah. And it's a talent, as you guys know, because you guys have had PR people that kiss your ass and you're like, oh my God, contact. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, you don't talk to everybody like that. And right. one thing I was going to tell you guys, people ask me like, which city, which country? And I tell them, I, I absolutely don't know because 95% of the time, I'm in Paris or these cool cities. I'm standing next to someone very important. So I'm treated the way they are. But if I go back the next day by myself, no one's talking to me. You know, we're, we're, we're getting a private trip of the Vatican or the Lou or Notre Dame. If I go back the next day, I'm waiting in the four hour line. Right. So I know for a fact where my line is. And I don't know what these cities are like, most of them without being attached to them. So I don't know what Australia is without Metallica or Robert is without. Oh, so yeah, it's, it's like it's going like going somewhere with Antonio Inoki, you know. They roll out yeah. the red carpet, you know, and they just kiss his ass, and you know they yeah. hand you they hand you the same you know uh, glass of whiskey that they you know five hundred year old whiskey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But right. it's learning how to enjoy that and not right. getting caught up in believing right. that you're the celebrity. Right, right. You know, but you are, but you know what I'm saying with these guys like that him. get a job as a bodyguard <laughs> and, and they're getting these amazing meals. Right. And it's like, I'm not getting that without standing. So I understand. So we're having a conversation. You get in the car. I'm not saying a word until they talk to me. Right. And mm. you still have to know where to cut the conversation. You, oh, he asked me about the Lakers. And you're like, blah, blah, blah. no, he just go, yeah, I know who the Lakers are. Then you're done. And then if it continues. But I think that's why people are comfortable is they know you're not going to take this and run and make it yours. You're mm -hmm. a guest at this party. You really are. Absolutely. What do you look at for, for a goal for yourself? How long do you want to do this for before you turn it over to somebody else or i mean what, what are some of your goals that you want to do with this that's, the, that's a great question uh as i get older i'm like the retirement gets farther away i like, i thought i'd retire by this age i think with the luck of the 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 company it looks like i could shut it down in a few years and then just let the company do it and then go visit the tours as opposed to being the the body guy or the main guy but between you and me, as long as Robert Plant tours and he keeps inviting me, if I'm 80 on the side of the stage, you know, I'll just hit people with my wheelchair, but I'm not, I'm not stopping. You know, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, I'll get my cane and I'll, I'll get my hip replacement and have my oxygen close by, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> you know? I, know, I think I, if you enjoy what you do, why? If you enjoy what you do, why? You shouldn't. I mean, a lot of people that yeah. think they should just retire and and uh, it's, uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't agree with that. Yeah, I know it's the financial thing, but I think COVID taught me that I'm not that great at home all the time. I didn't like it. <laughs> I, know, I know we were limited and we couldn't do the things we wanted to do, but I realized I need to be on the road. I feel like you guys with coaching, Dan, I still like to teach. When I'm working with those Samoans, oh. I got to tell you, without being corny, I had a day that was so fucking amazing. We had gone through so much together. And it was my last day, my first year at Coachella. And the big Samoan pulled me aside 
and put me in a circle and I thought they were going to do something bad <laughs> and they and they did a haka for me. Oh wow. And they said they said you're an honorary Samoan no one's ever treated us like that cuz there was some big boys just burning up in the sun. I'm like, go get in the shade. I'll fucking do it. There's no one here. And then I'd make sure they were fed. And, and we just got really close. So you don't get those moments when you're not doing that. You know, when you're sitting at home, I don't get that excitement. So for me, even if it's a lot less, I'm going to always be doing this and teaching and doing barricades. Uh, seminars. Yeah. Well, you're, you're living the American dream. As I say, because it's something that you you're enjoying doing, and uh, yeah. you're you're being compensated for that, and that's uh, yeah. that's what they that uh, yeah I like I like to bring across that let they let people a lot of people have to get a job, and yeah. when they get a, when they get that job they don't they don't like that boss unless they don't like their job, but most All people right. just simply sit around and they they just bitch about things. And to me, it's like going, you know. This little device right here, it's uh hold up is you know obviously called the cell phone. But I always tell people I go, you've got the world at your fingertips. Yeah. You could be as long as you got that job, you got money rolling in, I could be working on a couple online courses. I'd be, I'd be doing a couple different Absolutely. things. I, and then uh I always tell again, I you know what, what what I told my own children is I get that job, get the job going, look for the better jobs, look at the moving up inside that corporation. What else you want to try to explore? But then always give them their, their two week notice. Leave on a good note because you never know what bridge you or, may have to cross again down the road. You hope you don't have to, but at least yeah. leave leave on good terms. Well, I don't know your guys' background completely, but in Michigan, I lived in the trailer park, so I was always poor. So I never thought I'd be successful. Just it never crossed my mind. So I always had to keep trying and trying, and people were like dude, you're really doing well. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's going to go away. Someone's going to take it, you know? So I live like a poor kid most of my life going, someone's going to take this away from me. So I'm going to keep working harder. So for me, I've always been humble enough to know it can be taken away. And so wow. while, while I'm doing it, I just literally, without being corny and cliche, I appreciate every, every tour. It, it teaches me something. And I think as we get older, we slow it down. When you have bands, Dan, in the 20s and 30s, you know what they do. They just party and get crazy and they have women and drugs. I get it all. When yeah. I get them in the 40s and 50s, they do want to go to the Louvre and they do want to go to the Vatican. And I'm lucky enough that at my age, I can do these things and enjoy as opposed to being at the strip bar till six in the morning and we got a show the next day. Anybody who says that's fun, it wasn't for me because I, one, I don't drink on tour. Two, I don't get involved in any of that stuff. So you're seeing all these drunk idiots be your best friends and slobbering on you when they don't give a shit, except they know you're the gatekeeper. And that's the only reason they're being nice. So yeah. once you I mean, realize you, you gotta, that. You can't, you can't be drinking stuff like that because your senses are still got to be aware because you're there, you're, you're, you're taking care of everything and uh, people... Yeah, especially when they start getting under the influence of who knows what, they'll start. Yeah. They will start doing stupid things, and you have to really get on your on yeah. guard that much more. So. And even if you had a, a beer, which not, we can all drink a few beers, it's not going to affect us uh, our body weight. I'm always going to go. Could I have said something different? Did I come off a little aggressive? And it, this just takes it out of the equation. Well, the, but, police, the police don't give you enough respect when they smell alcohol on you either you know no, so no, especially if you're in a different direction 
completely. If you're running the show and they're like, you're you're running this, and I can yeah. smell, you know, it like right. you said, it goes completely different. But if you can stay diplomatic, sound articulate, and come in and go, sir, I'm so sorry this happened, but you usually can get out. And I have to say that I haven't a lot. Uh, I haven't had a lot of interaction with police except for at shows. And I've had an amazing rapport with them because I I'm honest with them. I, I'm like, listen, 15 years ago, no one wanted you guys around because people were smoking pot and this. Now we want you because of unfortunately active shooter protocol and all that. I fucking embrace these guys and go wherever you want to stand. I want people right. to see that you're here. And then after the show, maybe you can come say hi to Robert or James we love that you're here. And oh. when they hear that, it changes there too. Cause right. they're like, you know, their whole life, they're like, Oh, stand at the gate, but don't come near. They're fans. Yeah. You know, you yeah. think these cops aren't Zeppelin fans. They're, and if I represent that, you know, Robert go, we're so glad you're here. They appreciate yeah. that, man. You know, they get it out. And they're, I have guys that are like, I got three buddies that are off duty. Can they just come and hang out? I go, absolutely, more the merrier, you know? Yeah, come chill by the barricade. I want to see all you guys. And yeah. that's the thing. If you think you can do it by yourself, you're an idiot because mm. you're outnumbered by 50,000 people, man. <laughs> if, it goes, if it goes bad, it's going bad, and they're coming after you. So my what's thing right? is getting... What's the craziest thing you've seen on door? <laughs> God, you know... A lot I can't talk about, but yeah, uh, yeah, just shows are so unexpected. Things can turn so quick. You know, it's usually at festivals where things get out of hand and it's not really involving me or our <laughs> band. But um, yeah, I think it's without being bland, it's just there's always something around the corner that goes, hey, with Coachella, all I do is put out fires every day. I've had bands fighting in the back like full-on your headliner fighting with other bands i've heard you know we've had hip-hop acts that brought a lot of extra muscle and carrying and you're like oh dude so when i see any bands carrying it it, it can go bad quick so we usually get the police over there and just have them kind of hang out yeah it's what are you going to do if people start shooting you know someone's going to get hurt so um yeah, lot, lots of unique stuff, but as far as the, the touring stuff, you know, I've been on planes that everybody thought we were going down, you know, like this was it. This, <laughs> straight out of a movie where everybody's like, I love you, you know, that, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had singers, none of the ones we've discussed, but when I was younger, just when we get home, I'm buying you in a Harley and you're going to move in with me and all that stuff. And most guys the next day would be coming up to him and go, well, I was on the cycle trader and I found a motorcycle. And he's yeah. like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and that guy gets sent home the next day. So it's Groundhog's Day. Anything that happens, you never bring it up. I don't. And, you know, some of the guys have rough nights, have great nights, whatever it is. And I'm just like, no, nah, everything was fine. Well, did it get out of hand in your in your head? You're like, mm -hmm. you're like, no, no, you were good, bro. All good. <laughs> Why should they stress about them? I mean, I, I tell them, you guys concentrate on what you do great, and we'll do the rest. 
Because if you start thinking about my job, you're not thinking about your guitar solo or whatever you're right. going to do tonight. Let, you're, let not us doing take it. It. you're not doing it correct either. And they're thinking about it. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and by the way, the singer always sees when it gets a little rough and they'll just give me a look and I'm, I'm flying over the barricade to find out what they're looking at. Because if security is rough on their fans, even if it's a band like Metallica, they love their fans. And if a guy's aggressive, I got to get them out quick and just roll them out and just kind of calm things down. Even is it as intense as some of the heavy metal stuff. There's an etiquette to moshing. There's an etiquette to surfing and doing all that stuff. They take care of each other, man. You know, I don't know if you guys think about this, but a Metallica fan or a heavy metal fan, Anthrax Slayer, think about this. They're not the most popular people in their town. You know, they're tatted up. They're wearing black shirts. You know, they're at biker bars, whatever, and that's all good. But they're not necessarily got a ton of friends in their town. But when they go to a show, there's 50,000 other people that look like them. Right. So they take care of each other. They bond. So if someone goes down, there's eight guys lifting them up. Someone gets elbowed by accident. Everybody's oh. making sure he's okay. There's an etiquette to, to, to heavy metal. And we have less incidents than a Taylor Swift show. I swear to God, nothing happens at our shows because everybody takes care of everybody, you know, which I think is really cool. You know, we've had Hells Angels, all those guys show up. We just talk to them. What do you guys want to get out of the show? Where do you guys want to be? We, could, we don't necessarily condone or, you know, sponsor them. But if they're there, man, and they're acting cool to everybody, that's great, man. Right. You know, show them a little that, respect and they'll show it to you. Yeah. It, so one thing was funny. We were in Munich. And there was Hell's Angels and they were on the side of the stage and I walked down and all I could do is look at this German guy's white shoes. I was like, you can't be Hell's Angels and wear tennis shoes, man. I kept just pointing. I'm like, you can't have white shoes. You're fucking Hell's Angels, man. So I was like trying to walk him off the stage because he had white shoes. (laughs) Was he E.J.? Yeah, no, they were. They absolutely yeah. were. Yeah, the German version of it, but they, you know, I'm sure it's a lot different. Right. But yeah, we we ran into them. We did a show in Arizona, and we had a bunch come on stage like early 2000s, and yeah, you know, fighters. A lot of guys, a lot of UFC fighters love Metallica and Linkin Park and some of the heavy metal bands because that's what they train. Right. I, 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 I actually am flying out tomorrow morning, so I have to head out soon. But I wanted to ask you guys, as fighters, I don't for whatever reason, rock stars want to be athletes. Athletes want to be rock stars. Right, as you right. know, do you get tons of musicians or any of these guys that look up to you so much just because of what you do and then find that there's a, not a mutual attraction, but I know like, we keep talking about Clay and a lot of these other guys that love rock bands and rock bands love, you know, athletes. So it's, it kind of goes hand in hand. I would assume wonder if, if you see that a lot or, or get that a lot. Ken does. I don't know. I, I, it's fun going out with Ken because people don't usually see me, you know, they see Ken, you know, so I get to hide behind <laughs> Ken and I get to eat my meal, you know, and they're asking him all the questions, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but until you talk, well, then they know who it is for sure. Yeah, once you open your mouth, Don, everybody I, turns around. I shut the hell up. 
do you see that uh dan where just no no actually no, no I, i'm actually no. it's uh i i have no problems really whatsoever I, i'm uh you know i'm i'm yeah, maybe it's because of the age state or something like that, or just how I carry myself. I just, I've never had any problems really whatsoever. Just usually people are just happy to, to see you. Yeah, yeah. Your hands. No, that's what I meant. I didn't mean the negative, like athletes wanting to kind of attach on or musicians or actors when they know what you do. There's, there's a mutual respect that crosses over. No, no, I, I, I look at the whatever anyone does me, like you, you said that the effect that you, that you, you draw and stuff like that. I'm, I, I I look at everyone. Everybody has skill sets, and they have some some of the skill sets that they have is, uh, you know, they really haven't nurtured it really enough to they they, may, they might probably do something else with their their career than just simply just doing like for example yourself the fact that that you 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 draw uh, the way that you draw and, and the coloring and stuff like that. I mean to me that's very unique, especially for doing what you do. Right. in uh, the security business. So, I mean, it's, it's almost like a contrast of, like, of the yin, yeah. a yin and yang right there. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, I, think, you know, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I can't draw to save my life. Um, but uh, yeah. And I can't do what you guys do. So I think there's always a mutual respect thing that uh, you always envy and also appreciate. I think for me, it's always the work ethic. I know, from having friends like Clay and all these, I know how hard you guys work and that, you know, when I'm doing 80 to hundred hours a week, I don't feel sorry for myself because I know there's someone else working harder, but I don't complain about it because I, I know how, how much you have to do to, to move forward. So it, well, do you, I, do I you have any, uh, Tom, do you have any like social media? Stuff that, that you want to push there that uh, people um, want to- They can, I think it's fun for people. And follow yeah. you. And, if they just go to Hellboy Security on Instagram, they can check out the artwork. And we put some cool tour stuff up there too. And then the, yeah, shock that my name is Hellboy Security. What a shock. Um, <laughs> and then the company's called STS Global and they can either go to the website or just Instagram, STS Global. There's a lot of cool tour shots. You know, we can't really self-promote too much, but a lot of the photos that you see actual artists and photographers from tours post them and then I take them off that. I never post my own photos, but if they're already out there in the public, then I'll kind of repost them. And there's some cool Metallica, a lot of cool Metallica stuff and Lincoln Park photos. And then the drawings, you know, we're always just trying to do stuff for charity. So if anybody wants to help sell any of these for charity or take them for charity, that's, all I do, the last five drawings have all been for charity. I'm not trying to make money off that at all. If it, if any of these drawings can be put somewhere where we can raise some money for a good charity, I'm all in. So they can reach me at Hellboy for that. Let me ask you a question, because you got to be the, the worst person to do a tattoo for. Me? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Because you're an artist. You're an artist. You can, oh, yeah, yeah. You can look yeah, at the yeah. tattoos of that shit, you know? I mean... And once yeah. it's on, it's on, you know. Oh, no, yeah. No, you're right. I do all the actual drawings and then I hand it off to them. Yeah. And I had a guy out of London I love. Unfortunately, he passed away and his protege finished. So I was like, I'm good. I got the chest plate and a dragon on my back and all this stuff. And it's all stuff I did, except for the dragon. This guy was so good. He took a red pen and just did like an S on my back. Yeah. And then he took the gun and did this incredible dragon without anything. 
so yeah so yeah it was really strange he was only 46 years old and he had showed up to one of my birthday parties he's like good news I'm getting healthy because he was overweight. He goes, I'm getting on the program. I'm going to get training. And three weeks later, he was hanging up uh, ornaments on the Christmas tree, passed away. So in a a strange way, I have his artwork that I get to to show people. But yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, as we get older, man, it's rough seeing people on tour that are passing away younger than us. So it's like the gym and nutrition is not just for vanity, as you know. It's, it's, I want to stick around for a while. And like you said, I want to continue doing this for another 20 years. So have you, you got, gotten, have you gotten a tattoo that you hate because it looks like shit? Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. One of the first ones on my back. Yeah. There's a famous artist called Frank Frazetta and he does all the Conan, the barbarian and all this stuff. And I, I drew it out. Perfect. Uh, it, I got home and I'm so fucking pissed off and, uh, I called him up and I go, we got a problem. And he goes, sorry, man, I was drinking. Oh, <laughs> so, oh wow. Yeah. So oh, I've been wow. trying to do a cover up forever, but I, you know, it's on my back, so I don't see it. So I'm like, I, it's okay. We're fine. But I'm happy with everything else. And do you guys have stuff that you're like, I, I think you can cover it up pretty quick if you don't like it, but no, yeah. I don't have any ink. I got, I got uh, too much hair and too many scars. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I had, I have a couple really good scars that they had to leave open yeah. and not color it in until they healed more, and then they come back and color it in. I had some really nice stitches across my my forearm from some. I had some cancer stuff removed and I had thick stitches, and they just came back and colored it in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, when. When I started working with Robert, I was a little uncomfortable and embarrassed to show my tattoos. So for like two weeks, I was wearing long sleeve shirts. And I, you know, I wanted him to like me before he started judging me on tattoos because he's old school from the 70s. Tattoos weren't the biggest thing. And I kind of lived through a time frame where a lot of people were doing tattoos. So one day it's like 100 and I had to take a shirt and wear a tank top. It was like 95 degrees. And he just kind of stared and he goes, what? I don't get it, but it's all good. And then later he started to like it and ask questions about it. But, you know, when you're doing corporate stuff, you got to cover up and wear a suit so you don't be, you're not really judged. But in rock and roll in general, most people have some kind of ink if you're working on a tour. So there's no judgment there, which is nice. And because I own my own company, I'm not worried about it anymore. Yeah. Well, listen, it's a real honor talking to you guys. I really, really appreciate it, you know. And uh, I learned a lot. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's yeah. my pleasure. And I, I'll tell Mike Beltran and Clay to get their asses over here. Yeah. They'll have a great time with you guys. And I know they look up to you guys so much. So uh, I know you didn't know me. You you uh, took the time to meet me. I really appreciate it. It's actually great to meet a fellow Michigander there, too, there, Tom. Yeah, so, I yeah. mean, I, I, I educated me quite a bit there. So I... I, I've always asked a lot of questions just because I, yeah. I have true interest in uh, how people can become successful and do what they want to do. And you've been uh, involved in the industry for quite a few years. So it's yeah. uh, you, you, obviously you must be doing a good service for your clientele because uh-huh. they keep bringing you back again and again. And there's no contracts. That's <laughs> volumes. No contracts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that works both ways, too. You can walk out if you're not happy, too. 
<laughs> which I've done. And I really appreciate Ken introducing us and getting us uh, together. Uh, I'll, I'll keep an yeah. eye on the show. I've watched it and really enjoy it. And uh, now I'll follow you guys when I'm sitting in some crazy gym in Moscow. I'll just listen to you guys and go, I know those guys. I know those guys. So we're going to do it again if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My pleasure, guys. Thank I you just, so much. I just got to go part. hug my dog before he disowns uh -oh. me. Oh, you better go then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, then, okay. On this note, there, Tom, I'll hit you with uh, Dos Vedonia Moy Drug. <laughs> did, did I say that correctly? Are you, what language are you speaking? Russian. Russian. Yeah. That's the Daniel. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. More, more A's than O's. Okay. Yeah. Well, I tried. I tried. Yeah. No, that's the thing. You got to have that list. <laughs> that's why. And by the way, I don't do it well, but I'll remember it for like that day, you know. And when I go to the next city, I have to forget that one because that confuses me and go to the next one, you know. Right. But, uh, when you're in when you're in Paris ordering croissants and you sound like a, an American reject, you know they they laugh at you, but at least you're trying. That's all you can ask. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys very much for the time. Thank you. Right, Good Good thank you. Good to see you. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Have a great day, guys. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Oh, check out the artwork. If there's anything you want, I'll send it. I'll send it to you guys. All right, cool. Thank you. For sure. Anything. And maybe we'll do a fighter, yeah? Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Take care, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.